welcome to Power Play. I'm Vashi Capellos. Tonight, as big as it gets, is the single largest investment in the auto sector in Canada ever. And, and I think it's a game changer for our industry. Volkswagen announces it will build its first overseas electric vehicle battery plant in Canada. What is Volkswagen, though, getting in return? And are Canadian jobs guaranteed? We'll ask the federal minister responsible in just moments. Then, U.S. banking system in crisis. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. President Joe Biden urges calm and the regulators move in after the largest bank collapsed since 2008. Will the president be able to blunt the bleeding? We are live in D.C. with the latest coming up. Plus, the Feds versus Facebook. Parent company Meta pushes back in a big way against the government's online news bill. If it becomes law, no more news for Canadians on Facebook and Instagram. Our front bench will be here to dig into the Prime Minister's meta moment just ahead. But first... A Made in Canada deal to counter Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. Volkswagen will build its first North American electric vehicle battery factory in St. Thomas, Ontario, set to start production in 2021. Volkswagen says it chose Ontario after considering plants in other parts of North America. So how did the feds and province convince the automaker to call Ontario home in the face of the Biden administration's fierce push for auto sector investments? And what kind of money will Ottawa have to spend to secure more deals like this one? Francois-Philippe Champagne is Canada's industry minister. Hi, Minister. Good to have you on our program. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for inviting me. It's a big day for Canada. It, it sure is. And, and I wanted to start off actually on that and ask you if there was ever a point during these negotiations where you felt that the introduction of the IRA would, would lose the case for us, essentially, to land this plant. Well, it's been months in the making. Uh, you know, we've been, this all started with a phone call and then a number of meetings. I was in Wolfsburg. Uh, where Volkswagen have the headquarters uh, a number of times. And, and finally, we, we walked through every step. We made the case for Canada. And, and I think today uh, it's a great moment to celebrate. Like I said, it's, it's a big vote of confidence for Canada. It's a big vote of confidence for the auto sector. But it's also a big vote of confidence for the auto workers. And I always say that, Vashi, because it's thanks to their excellence, the expertise, know-how, that you can convince uh, auto manufacturer like Volkswagen, the largest in the world, depending on the years you're looking at, uh, when they have a choice to go anywhere in the world, that their first gigafactory overseas is in Canada. This is huge. Can I ask you, though, explicitly what you had to do to show them the value of Canada? And, and, and specifically, I'm asking, when you talk about them, they could go anywhere. We've heard from other companies in other industries specifically talk about their their desire to go to the U.S. because of the investment climate the IRA has created. So what did you have to do specifically in this case to counter that in the U.S.? Well, there's five things that really bring investment to Canada. The first thing is talent. And I think the world realized Canada is a big magnet for talent. Uh, the second thing is the ecosystem. I think that, that manufacturers around the world appreciate and recognize the strength of the ecosystem in the automotive sector, among others. Uh, the fact that we are the only Western nation with all the critical minerals and, and with very high standard when it comes to, to labor laws, environmental laws, and uh, reconciliation with First Nation. The fourth, I would say, renewable energy, because um, all these big manufacturers want to decarbonize. And fifth is access to market. I never talk about Canada as a country of 38 million people. 
but as a country which gives you preferential market access to 1.5 billion consumers. So uh, you have a lot of things going on for Canada, the talent, the renewable energy, the access to market. I appreciate all the points you made about, uh, about the competitive advantages we do have in this country. But uh, in addition to what you laid out, I'm going to ask you very bluntly, Minister, did you have to sure. cut them a check and how big of one? Well, listen, you always have to be part of the, I always say government have to be part of the equation when you come to these large investments. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. You will recall that in the fall economic statement, we said that uh, we intend to, to level the playing field, that we would be selective. Um, so obviously, government have to be a part of the equation. Uh, but I would say, Vashu, you never win on the money uh, because there are jurisdictions who can offer far more uh, than what Canada can ever offer. So you have to push other factors, for example, like I said, the talent of our workers, uh, the proximity to critical minerals, the fact that renewable energy is the way to go. And I appreciate all those points, and I'm certainly not trying to take away from them, but it's a really long-winded way of not, not answering, Minister, the, the original question I posed. No, what, am I to sure. interpret from your answer that the federal government did invest, did cut the company a check. And again, I'm going to ask on behalf of Canadians, I'm not saying the investment isn't a worthwhile one, but how significant is it? How big is the size of the check you had to cut? So I'll answer very clearly your question. Canada uh, had to be part of the equation. And I'm not going to go into the details because we have discussions with many others. So discussions are commercially sensitive. But as always, Vashi will recall, we always, we always make uh, that information public in due course. But you would appreciate, as you're doing for Canadians, I'm the one negotiating on their behalf. So I need to make sure that what's commercially sensitive as we have discussions with many players in the industries, uh, in many sectors, uh, at this moment, that would not be appropriate, but that the information will be disclosed in due course, as we always do and we, when we have these major investments. I guess I, I just want, I'm wondering what due course means. And I'll, and I'll frame, I'll tell you why I'm asking, because... This sure. is a huge win, as you've explained, in, in, in the uh, context of the IRA, right? We are competing very directly with the United States for landing a plant like this. They have put out more than $300 billion worth of subsidies. You've said in the past, in the finance minister, we can't go toe-to-toe. -to -toe, but if you are writing a check in the billions, and you need to for the next one, and the next one, and the next one, I'm trying to get a sense for people watching of what the IRA necessitates from a fiscal perspective from the government, the scope well, of the response, we said is it $6 billion a plant? Let me say very, very clearly to all the viewers, uh, what we said is that we're going to level the playing field and we're going to be selective. That's what you're seeing today. Uh, but when it comes to, to all uh, you know, the details around the investment, uh, we're going to keep that for a moment when we can disclose that. And the reason is, Bashi, as you know, is because... Uh, you know, we are in discussions with many in the ecosystem and, you know, these information are commercially sensitive, as you know, because you negotiate. The difference, I think, in Canada, like we said, we're going to be selective. And like I said, you never win on the money. There's, there's no possibility for Canada to win on that. But so it's necessary to compete, Canada is it has not? to be part of the equation, but you have to put the other factors that I mentioned, which are key to attract these investments. Because, like, let's not forget that even the IRA, this is short-term incentives. These big manufacturers are looking for 50 years of production. So the other things that I mentioned are really relevant to make sure you can land uh, these big investments. And uh, you go back to workers, you go back to greening the supply chain, and that's what uh, makes uh, you know, Canada winning in a very competitive environment, as you said. And, and I'm not trying to take away from any of that, but who, I mean, ultimately, 
you're going to negotiate with others, and then what, in a year, Canadians will know how much the federal government invests? Again, I'm not trying to say that there isn't merit to the investment, sure. but I do think it's fair for Canadians to know, hey, how much money are we spending in order to counter sure. the IRA? How, is that going to be and disclosed listen, in the budget? Where is, it, where is that? We've coming? been very transparent. I mean, in the fall economic statement, we said we're going to level the playing field. Then we say we're going to be very selective, and I see you see the results of that. It's also fair to Canadians, as they know, because they've seen us in action in many other transactions where we've landed landmark uh, deals. I would say Moderna is one of them. Now you have in the auto sector that it would not be in Can Canadians' best interest uh, to disclose all that. Now, as we have discussions uh, with all sorts of players in the ecosystem, what I can say to Canadians is that um, you know we uh, said in the Falkland statement that we would be uh, leveling the playing field, we would be selective. And I can assure Canadians that uh, to land an investment like that, which is going to bring thousands of jobs for decades to come, and investments in this plant and to operate these plants for probably 50 years, that this is a great investment for Canadians. And let's take a moment, I would say, okay. Vashi, to celebrate. This is the first time that I'm we land a European manufacturer. And in you, due course, like as we always and I do, part, Vashi, and as we the always do, we'll your, put your, your all the Your staff is telling me you have to go, and I have a very just final important question to, to ask you. On behalf you of people watching, is there a guarantee from the company on the number of jobs? Um, and if so, how many? Like how many jobs are we talking? And did they guarantee it in writing in, in return for whatever the investment is? Listen, uh, they're talking about gigafactories. So if you look at the size of these gigafactory in the world, you can make demand. I don't want to get ahead of them, but obviously, as we always negotiate, I think Canadians know by now that when we negotiate these investments, uh, there's always uh, you know, commitments with respect to investments, with respect to jobs. And I would say what's great with this one, Vashi, and I know we need to go, but just think about them bringing their entire supply chain in Canada. This is countless opportunities uh, for small and medium-sized businesses uh, in, across the country. Uh, this is good news for Canada. It's good news so for St. Thomas in Ontario. So there is a guarantee for jobs, though? There is commitments with respect to jobs, okay. as we always do. As we always do. And I think, you know what? They're going to exceed that because this is going to be there for 50 years. So something like that, you only have one, I would say, in a generation, and we got one now. Minister, I'll leave it there. Thank you for your time. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne there. Let's get some more reaction and perspective on this announcement and what it and others like it could mean for the budget from the opposition. With us tonight, Conservative finance critic Jazraz Singh Hallen and NDP finance critic Daniel Blakey. Hello to both of you. Thank you very much for making the time. I appreciate it. Mr. Hallen, I'm going to start with you. This deal, as you heard the minister outline, certainly requires a federal investment. Um, my sources are telling me we're talking about billions of dollars over a period of about 10 years. Uh, would the Conservatives cut a similar check to land a company like Volkswagen? Uh, look, Vashi, uh, we're, we're at another point where there's another announcement, but that's all it is. We don't have a clear plan on what it's going to take for Canadians to have good jobs and uh, for a good investment to come into Canada. Conservatives have always been champions of the manufacturing industry, but if you listen to the minister just now, what we didn't hear from him was about the government regulations that are stopping from things getting built in this country. We don't know how long this project is going to take to build. We don't even know how many jobs it's going to create, let alone what kind of investment that they had to put in. And the minister also made a very interesting point when he said there are other deals that they're going to be looking at. What does that mean for Canadians? Does it mean how many more billions and billions of dollars 
are going to be pumped in for investment to come to Canada. Canada should have been in a position, after eight years of Justin Trudeau, we see investment has been fleeing, not coming in. We should have had more things built. We should have had more industries thriving right now with more private industries wanting to come into Canada. But the number one issue okay. that we see over and over again is a government regulation and uncertainty which is created by the government. They need to get those government gatekeepers out of the way so more can get built here because this announcement in, on its own, how long is it going to take? No one knows. And how much is it going to cost taxpayers? Well, we don't even know that. There's just so much okay. uncertainty I, I do it. think... I just, I just want to follow up on you, with you on that because um, you're, you're correct that we don't know exactly how much they invested, nor how many jobs. We do know it's a gigafactory. This is, this is, I, I think it's hard to dispute this is a massive announcement for Canada. And um, I, so I take your point on the, the questions that need to be raised, but I'm going to circle back to the specific question I asked you, which is, would conservatives also cut checks? I think it might be unfair to contextualize this as, you know, just an environment Justin Trudeau created. The, the U.S. has brought in a very specific piece of legislation that offers subsidies for these types of things to be built there, large amounts of money. Does that not necessitate Canada countering? Does it not necessitate billions of dollars of investment? And are you saying that the Conservatives, if you form government, would not make those investments? Well, first of all, the Conservatives would not have let Canada be in such an uncompetitive position where billions of dollars are now having to be pumped in to even get an unnumber, uncertain number of jobs. We don't even have certainty on how long so this So you wouldn't cut this check? So, so you mean, wouldn't cut a check I mean, to Volkswagen? The Conservatives would not let Canada be in the position that it is in today. We need to make sure that projects are getting built. Let, like, you look at the, the, the government hurdles that are there when it comes to even building any projects. By the Liberals' own admission, it can take up to 25 years for something to get built here. Canada is 64th in the world for how long it takes to build a project. And that isn't competitive respectfully, whatsoever. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, our time is limited. I just want to make sure you're not answering the direct question, right? Which is, first of all, Volkswagen says this will be up and running by 2027. I think I incorrectly said 2021 off the top of the show. My mistake. 2027. My, my question to you is whether or not you believe the IRA necessitates a large-scale investment to the tune of billions of dollars. Would, would your party cut that check? Or are you saying you wouldn't? What the IRA necessitates is for Canada to become more competitive, which means we need to get the government gatekeepers out of the way. We need to lower taxes and cut red tape so more can get built in Canada, that more investment can pour into Canada and become more competitive on a world stage. This isn't just about money, it's about results. And that's something that the government is great at dishing out money, but with very few results for Canadians, and all of their failures are costing more and more to Canadians. We need to, be, we need to have Canada in a position, and under a peer poly of government, Canada will be, become more competitive. We will get the government keepers out of the way. We will lower red tape, and we will make sure that we keep taxes down so more investment wants to come into Canada and not bleed out like we've seen after the last eight years of Justin Trudeau's okay. failures on the economy. Okay, I'm going to point out you didn't answer the specific question, but I take your points on the other stuff. Uh, Mr. Blakey, I want to ask you about uh, the priorities that you've identified for the government. Your party has, for example, talked about Pharmacare and the implementation of it. I believe the plan you pitched in the, uh, in the 2019 election, if I'm right, or maybe the, uh, the 2021 election, the PBO assessed would cost, we're looking in the neighborhood at about $11 billion a year. 
Do you admit that countering the IRA at this juncture is more important than spending money on priorities like that, given the fiscal constraints around the federal government not wanting to uh, further inflation? Well, two things. So first I'll talk about Pharmacare and then I'll talk about the IRA. Um, Pharmacare is a really important initiative because a lot of people are struggling right now to be able to afford the bills and prescription drugs are a huge bill item. For as much as Pharmacare would be a big spending item on the federal balance sheet, what's important to know is that Canadians are already spending that money on prescription drugs. And so what the PBO also said was that a national federally administered Pharmacare plan would save Canadians $4 billion from what they're already spending on prescription drugs. So that is still a savings item for Canadians. And to the extent that it all comes back to one pocket, we would be saving money for people, not spending more money by having a Pharmacare plan. With respect to the to the IRA, we absolutely do have to be competitive. And I have to say, listening to my conservative counterpart, I really don't think that they understand the nature of the competition that's going on right now. It's not, he's right, it's not just about money. It is also about money. And when you look at countries that are being really successful right now in the new energy economy and headed where the puck is going, whether it's Norway, Sweden, Germany, those are places where they have had governments that have worked with industry to have a real strategy, and workers, by the way, to have a strategy for what it looks like. And they have been intentionally investing public funds and creating an investment framework that's attracting private capital for a long time now. That's why they're so ahead of the game. The United States finally decided to get in the game, and that's why Canada has to get in the game. That will mean making some public investments, including some significant ones, in order to do well. So I think this can be seen as good news about the Volkswagen plant, but I do think that the Canadian government owes us transparency, and by us I mean Canadians generally, on a few fronts. One is they should be able to answer the question that you asked, Fashi, which is how much money is it for this particular project? But they also have to be a lot more transparent about what are the terms and conditions in terms of the number of jobs, but also what are those jobs going to pay? What kind of benefits are going to be associated with those jobs? That language is in the IRA about good union paying jobs. We fought very hard through our <coughs> supply and confidence agreement to be able to get some language approaching that in the fall economic statement. Right. We believe the government should go further and use the term good union jobs. They're, they haven't been willing to do that yet, but we need to see okay. the transparency and accountability and, on the terms and conditions and of I, that employment as well. And I just have a few seconds left, so I, I want to make sure I, ch I, you know, I challenge you and, and, and uh, follow up with you as much as I did your colleague. Um, I, I take your point about the overall savings that Canadians will have with Pharmacare, but it does require, at the outset for a number of years, a huge amount of investment from the federal government. And my question to you is uh, against the backdrop sort of of like where we sit right now. And basically, do you admit that maybe now is not the time for that level of investment? If the government were to spend $10 billion a plant on every plant over the next few years it's able to secure, plus $11 billion a year on Pharmacare, plus the new health care money it spent, what, in fact, is happening with inflation will get worse. There is no economist that, that will disagree with that. Is it, do you admit that some of the priorities you've identified for the government may have to take a back seat for a little while? Well, look, I really do think that pharmacare is important for people who are struggling right now, and that is something government should be moving ahead with. What we've said in the, in the supply and confidence agreement is that we need to get the legislative infrastructure for pharmacare up and ready by, by the end of the year. So it's not the spending commitment yet. There is some flexibility around that. I think we need to know more about the terms and conditions of the, the federal's, federal government's plan to attract 
clean tech companies and and you know players who are important for the for the for the new energy economy that is coming uh in order to weigh those numbers against each other as you as we just saw minister champagne is not yet willing to attach numbers to their announcement so it's hard to evaluate those things against each other until we have that information Understood. In due course, I'm sure we're all waiting, we're all waiting for Indeed. that. Mr. Singh, uh, Mr. Hallen, rather, and Mr. Blakey, thank you very much, both of you, for making the time for the discussion. Jazraz Singh Hallen and uh, Daniel Blakey. And we're going to talk about this issue with the front bench a little bit later this hour. Up this evening, Sabrina Grover, Melanie Paradis, Carl Belanger, and Laura Stone. First, though, has Joe Biden calmed banking crisis panic south of the border? We'll head to D.C. next for the latest on the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. The tech industry's banking darling collapse is setting off panic and pressure on U.S. President Joe Biden to secure the sector. CTV's Richard Madden is with us from Washington now with more details. Hi, Richard. Let's start with the how. How did Silicon Valley Bank get to the point where it could fail? Yeah, so the the problems began last Wednesday when the company announced it sold assets to boost its balance sheet. That caused a run by customers uh, lining up at its branches across the country trying to get their money out. But by Friday, the bank simply ran out of cash. Their accounts were frozen, and that set off a big panic. Similar scene uh, in New York City on Sunday where Signature Bank, which is basically funds crypto and real estate, uh, was also uh, seized by state regulators there. So that caused a lot of concern and panic uh, about the stability of America's banking system. And that's why we saw President Joe Biden addressing the nation today, insisting, don't panic, the banking system is safe. Uh, But it is sending jitters just across the country today. And the big question is whether what the president announced and what the regulators are doing really will stop the bleeding. Yeah, and that is a big question. We're going to see how this plays out over the next few days. Uh, The president, along with the Fed uh, Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen and other top policymakers, uh, they came up with a plan that will allow all depositors to get their money back beyond that 250000 limit uh, that's insured by the FDIC. So uh, they've greenlit that. They're trying to create stability for consumers to, to uh, have confidence in the banking system. But there are some whispers in circles that uh, this rapid rise in interest rates definitely played a role in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and possibly Signature Bank. And there's questions about other re- regional smaller banks, whether the health of their uh, balance sheets are, are safe and secure. Uh, we're, already seeing, we're already seeing stocks plummet, plummet, plummet uh, as with some of those smaller regional banks. So we're going to have to see how this plays out. But clearly, we're not out of the woods yet. And there are concerns uh, about uh, the health of these smaller banking systems and some of the biggies like Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, my understanding is the bank held bonds that were really extra susceptible to interest rate hikes. And so it puts a lot of focus on next week's announcement from the Fed there. Um, What about the Canadian context? I know that the uh, regulator here took over the loan branch of Silicon Valley Bank in Toronto. But could something like this happen in this country? 
Yeah, so Silicon Valley Branch Bank did have a branch in Toronto that you noted the federal regulators in Canada uh, shut down and took control over. Uh, whether this could happen in Canada, I, I think the, the it's low. Uh, I am no financial expert, but we can make some notable differences here between the banking systems in Canada and the U.S. First and foremost, in Canada, you have what? Just over two dozen banks, mostly concentrated uh, by the big six banks. So they operate very conservatively uh, and they work in tandem with the federal regulator. Whereas here in the U.S., there's like, what, 7,000 banks and they're all regulated a little bit differently. Regulations uh, are not as strong as they are in Canada. The difference, of course, is that these smaller banks, there's more people, there's more customers, uh, and the U.S. banks are generally more competitive. They take bigger risks. That's why you see a Silicon Valley funding startups, uh, and you don't see that as much in Canada. The downside, of course, is that these smaller banks do take bigger risks, and some of them fail. All right. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate all that insight. CTV's Richard Madden for us live in D.C. Still to come tonight on Power Play, have you used a surrogate or are you thinking of it? There's a new parental benefit coming your way if you are. Details are next in the list. Stay with us. Welcome back to Power Play on this Monday evening. It's time for the list, a roundup of what's happening in politics today. A new federal benefit is in the works, one that offers parents who adopt or grow their families through surrogacy more time at home with their babies. In the coming weeks, the government says it will unveil an overhaul of existing employment insurance legislation to include the new 15-week parental benefit. The benefit was first promised by the Liberals in the 2019 federal election. Under the current EI system, standard parental leave offers one parent up to $650 a week before taxes for up to 35 weeks or up to 40 weeks of leave shared between parents. In addition, maternity benefits allow up to 15 more weeks of leave, but only for the person who gives birth. Employment Minister Carla Qualtro would not confirm if the new benefit will be part of the upcoming March 28th federal budget. Well, I will not scoop the finance minister, but I can just say in the coming months and leave it at that. It's a matter of equity. So making sure that whether you are, you give birth to the child or we need to make sure people bond. And we heard that very loudly during our consultations for EI modernization, that parents want this and we're going to deliver it for them. Over to the UK now, where BBC Sports presenter Gary Lineker is returning to hosting duties after being suspended for criticizing the British government's new asylum policy. Lineker compared the government's language around their migration policy to that used in 1930s Germany, the decade that saw the rise of the Nazi party and the increased persecution of Jewish people, ultimately leading to the Second World War. Lineker's suspension was met with intense backlash and walkouts by his colleagues at the BBC. The organization's director general, now promises an independent review of the company's social media guidelines. In a series of tweets, Lineker responded and said that the experience has been difficult, but that it, quote, doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution or war to seek refuge in a land far away. Oh, my goodness. Um, I thank the Academy for this honor and for our Studio A24 for making such a bold film. 
A big night for Canadians at last night's Oscars. Dual citizen Brendan Fraser took the big prize in the Best Actor category for his role in The Whale. Other Canadians to take home an Oscar include Sarah Polly, who won for Best Adapted Screenplay for her film Women Talking. She also directed that movie. Montreal's Adrian Morrow won for Makeup and Hairstyling for The Whale. And Toronto's Daniel Rohr took the prize for Best Documentary for his film Navalny, which looked into the poisoning of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Coming up on Power Play tonight, we're going to turn back to our top story. Canada lands Volkswagen. The minister confirms the feds invested to secure the deal but won't say how much money they put up. The front bench is here to talk about that. Sabrina Grover, Melanie Parody, Carl Belanger and Laura Stone. There, there, there they are, rather. We'll be back with you in just a moment. When you have a home run like that, you have to celebrate and say, yes, we won. And you can imagine for me, uh, this is months in the making. Uh, I could, uh, you know, I've rarely been emotional in my nine years as minister. But trust me, uh, this whole thing started with one phone call. And today we're celebrating the largest single investment in the auto sector in the history of Canada. As you saw there, the feds are certainly celebrating that Volkswagen will set up shop for its first EV battery plant in North America here in Canada, in St. Thomas, Ontario, to be exact. Ottawa and the province landed the deal despite Joe Biden's big push for investment, a push that comes back with major amounts of cash. The bigger question, though, can Canada afford to keep going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the U.S., or does it have any other choice? Let's bring in the front bench to talk about that. With us tonight, Sabrina Grover was a federal liberal candidate in the 2021 election. She's now a principal at Shakti Strategies. Former communications director to Aaron O'Toole, Melanie Paradis, is here. She's now the president of Texture Communications. Former interim NDP national director, Carl Carl Belanger is joining us tonight. He's now the president of Traction Strategies and the Globe and Mail's Queen's Park reporter, Laura Stone, is with us as well. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. Carl, I'm going to start with you only because we're the only people who didn't get the beige jacket memo <laughs> that apparently <laughs> you guys are all wearing the same outfit. It's pretty awesome. Um, Carl, look, I'll start on the, the first point. Um, I interviewed the minister tonight. It's clear that they had to make a substantial investment. I know it's north of $6 billion at least. He didn't want to disclose the specifics. There's jo job commitments, but we don't know how many. Do you think it behooves the feds at this point to lay out exactly what they got for this deal if they're going to have to make more of them? Well, here's the thing. It will eventually come out. Uh, we know it will come out. Mm -hmm. uh, so why not be transparent from the get-go? Uh, I mean, it, I, I think everybody knows that you need to, uh, you know, put some serious dough to attract these kinds of mega factories and and if you want to create that as a model then you know you need to have a little more transparency so that the others can come in too that said uh, I understand that there's a, this whole idea of being competitive right. and not telling others what you're doing so that they outbid you. So it's, it's, it's either way. It's, but it, there are a government. This is public dollars. And uh, there's something that the public needs to know about these amounts. And, and it is a lot of money, too, right, Melanie? Um, it, it, and I wonder um, also if you think... Uh, like kind of what you think the scope of this potentially is because generally like you're going to have to be doing this for every plant you try to get because of what happened with the IRA right the inflation reduction act creates a, a, an environment in which there's major subsidies for a plant like that to open south of the border so so what else are you going to do basically well I think in this case what's really interesting is the the Ford government passed a piece of legislation just a few weeks ago bill 63 didn't get a lot of attention at the time 
Um, it was a very specific piece of planning legislation that allowed the city of St. Thomas, where the facility is going to be built, to uh, annex a, a large piece, about 600 hectares, I, I think, a large piece of land from an adjacent municipality into there so that they'd be able to build an investment-ready mega site um, for, this, for this and possibly for others. We'll see what else is to come. Um, so that's an example of something that a government can do that doesn't necessarily cost any money to help create a, a better regulatory environment to attract investment into, into a particular region. Here, here it's southwestern Ontario, that's where St. Thomas is. Um, and I think, yes, we, we absolutely need some disclosure on, on what, how much money was being spent here. And I'm certain that in the budget that we'll see what, what exactly that was. But uh, it's nice to see the provincial government played a really important role in, in some creative red tape reduction um, and in finding a planning tool at their disposal that they'd be able to help support this. Uh, Laura, you may know more about this, but my understanding is that the federal, that the province actually did mo more than that. That they actually have to outlet, uh, you know, put out some cash as well, and, and a lot of it. In they're going to do everything for the site. They're going to twin the highway, like you name it. Whatever Volkswagen needs for that area, the province is going to pay for that. So. It's another interesting kind of political dynamic, and I'll get Sabrina to weigh in on this too, because it's another example of the Premier and the Prime Minister working hand in hand for an economic objective that I think makes it a bit tougher for the federal Conservatives to navigate and if they are going to be opposed to it. I think it's really difficult for the federal Conservatives to criticize this, and that's sort of the brilliance of it, I think, um, on the part of the federal liberal government and this really is you know the bread and butter of the progressive conservatives as well this is you know doug ford to a t he's been talking about ev strategy for quite some time now this is sort of their you know this is their environmental policy essentially um and the reason why they've made some other changes that environmentalists are not so happy with but this is the future to them this critical critical minerals strategy evs and it's very very interesting political dynamic to see the federal liberals and the uh, provincial progressive conservatives work together on this and i think you know i get i get the the criticism from your previous guests about we don't know you know how much money is getting spent we know it's going to be a lot but i think you know by and large most canadians are are supportive of this kind of project and they certainly see it as the future and i think that that's kind of what insulates both of these governments from substantial criticism and we'll see of course what happens when the details actually emerge yeah, and I think it insulates them for sure to a certain degree, Sabrina, but it does depend. Like, if you're going to have to cut a $10 billion check to land every single plant, that, that's, a, that's a lot of money. It's not necessarily an unworthy investment or without merit, but it's still something that, you know, if you're, if you're spending that much, Canadians probably want to know about a little more forthcomingly. Yeah, I mean, I think to the point that this isn't just a deal on its own, right? Like it is an economic deal. It is a deal in the the Volkswagen battery plant, but it's also interlinked to some of the other strategies that the government's already put into play. So whether that has to deal with the critical minerals investment that they did uh, earlier in February, March, maybe two weeks ago, um, building on that strategy to talk about critical minerals, that's going to feed into this battery plant. Um, you're going to continue to see other climate-related investments that feed into this. So I don't think it's something on its own that's, that is standing up, but it is certainly a big investment that ties into their other priorities, that ties into their other uh, ambitions. And I think that's what's important for Canadians, to see that they're working on things in a comprehensive and cohesive way. But do you think, Carl, that that is made plainly evident to Canadians? Like, I don't, I, I take the point that there is a 
bigger strategy here. We're, we're greening the economy. Electric vehicles are the future. But like if you're, you know, if you want five plants and you're willing to spend $50 billion because you have to because of Joe Biden, I, I, I wonder why they're just not like, hey, here's what, here, here's what you've got, people. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good question. And, and the other question that arises also, how long will they be here? Because we've seen other car companies yeah. come here. Uh, take the golden chest from the government and then close shops a few years after. So how do we protect our investment here? And is that a sustainable model? Because, you know, if you have to throw that kind of money at every uh, constructor, then what does it mean for the long-term uh, sustainability of the industry? That's a very tough question to answer because, I mean, frankly, we can't attract everyone at that price tag. We can't afford it. No, and they said, they're to the, to the government's credit, they said they're going to be selective and that they're going to make investments. It's just, we just don't know the, the, the true scope of those investments. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break uh, with the Front Bench panel. On the other end of that break, we're going to talk about Justin Trudeau's meta moment. The Front Bench will dig into Ottawa's showdown with Facebook and Instagram next. Stay right there. More pushback tonight against the federal government's proposed online news act, known as Bill C-18. The bill would force tech giants like Google and Meta to pay for linking or posting Canadian news content. Meta is now threatening to block access to news content in Canada on its popular social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, if the bill passes. In a statement to us, a spokesperson says in part, if the online news act passes in its current form, we will end the availability of news content on Facebook and Instagram for people in Canada. A legislative framework that compels us to pay for links or content that we do not post and which are not the reason the vast majority of people use our platforms is neither sustainable nor workable. Last week, Google Canada testified before a House committee about its test to block news content for some of its users, again in response to C-18. Google says its trial to limit news searches for some Canadians will end this Thursday, but still criticized the proposed legislation. We have been transparent about our concerns with Bill C-18. We have worked constructively with parliamentarians and offered reasonable and balanced solutions. Unfortunately, C-18 has some very serious problems. C-18 puts a price on free links to web pages, setting a dangerous precedent that threatens the foundation of the open web and the free flow of information. Okay, so here's the response from the government. Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez's office tells us once again it's disappointing to see that Facebook has resorted to threats instead of working with the Canadian government in good faith. This tactic didn't work in Australia and it won't work here. Canadians won't be intimidated. The statement goes on to say all we're asking Facebook to do is negotiate fair deals with news outlets when they profit from their work. This is part of a disappointing trend this week that tech giants would rather pull news then pay their fair share. All right, so whose framing is accurate in the battle over Bill C-18? Can the feds afford a fight against Facebook? Or is it maybe a David versus Goliath battle the Liberals are happy to take part in? Let's bring back the front bench, Sabrina Grover, Melanie Paradis, Carl Belanger, and Laura Stone. Uh, Sabrina, I'll start with you, and I'll, I'll just put that very simple question to you. Do you think this is a fight that the Liberals are itching for? Um, I think it's a fight that they're definitely going to go into, and I, I don't think that they're going to shy away from it. And I think that that builds on the experience that the Australian government had and some of the success that the Australian news outlets have seen. It's definitely a competitive fight, and it's certainly not going to be easy. Um, but you can't let a tech giant, um, you know, threaten away 
compensation for Canadian media and that to just be the, the way that the government goes away. I think that this is going to be an important part of making sure that the compensation is fair and builds on the experiences of other countries. How much do you, uh, sort of political will do you think there is, Melanie, to, to, to be in this fight, though? And, and I ask because in Australia, Australia did get some wins, but ultimately Facebook pulled the same thing and they got they, they sat down and they worked something out with, with the government there. Do you anticipate that ends up being the case here? Or is this like from a political perspective, something that you think the feds just want to dig their heels in on? So I think it sounds good on like face value that they're fighting big, big tech. But once you dig into what this legislation is actually about, this does nothing to help the everyday Canadian. It does nothing to protect your data. It's not about you at all. This is about the government playing referee between big tech, and big media, deciding which billionaire gets to make more money off of your data. It has nothing to do with protecting Canadians and ensuring that they have access to the news. It's, it's really just about who's going to make more money when you click on a link. That's it. And, and so I think this legislation is useless. It's a waste of the government's time to continue pursuing this. I, I think that it would be admirable if they were instead pursuing an agenda to protect Canadians from their data being used for this purpose, being sold. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, not what, that's not what this is about. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I don't think it will go very far. Uh, Laura, what do you think about that? And, and uh, you know, I should say, to be transparent, like the companies that we work for have, have skin in the game on this. But the criticism, to also be fair, is that the legislation kind of goes too far in basically making these companies pay not just for using the content, but for just linking to it, which is primarily the focus of their objective at this point. Yeah, I think the government is itching for a bit of a fight here. I was at an announcement with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau a few weeks ago in the Toronto area, and he kind of unprompted, he wasn't asked about Google, and he volunteered kind of an, uh, a, a, a mini attack on the company um, when they first started uh, restricting access uh, through their tests of restricting access to news sites. So he clearly wanted that message out there. Now, is he kind of preparing for a negotiation? Was that a negotiation, negotiating tactic? Probably. And they probably will have to sit down with Google and, um, and negotiate, as Australia did as well. But I do think that, you know, the Liberals view this as, a, as their fight to win. And they're gearing up a bit here against the big bad tech giants. And I don't think that they're they're going to shy away from that. So it will be interesting to see kind of what happens behind the scenes if Google does follow through on this threat. Um, but I don't think that the liberals, you know, think that they're in a poor position here to kind of take this on. And, and, and certainly in the eyes of Canadians, I think that they view themselves somewhat as the winners in this. Do you think, though, Carl, that calculation uh, changes at all, given the big sticks that these companies have? And, and by that, I mean... They're able, I mean, if Facebook blocks any news content from going on its website uh, or Google doesn't allow you to search and end up with, you know, a, a Globe and Mail article or a CTV news article, like that seems like a big stick to be able to play with. Yeah, and it's a stick they use in Australia. Everybody's talking about Australia. The ban there lasted for a total of eight days. Mm -hmm. So there will be a solution eventually because at issue is traffic. And these news sites gets a lot of traffic from Facebook. That's why the 
content is available for free, or else they would put it behind a paywall, and you would not be able to read it. I mean, there's a business model here that's not working, and clearly the government is trying to find a solution. But I'm not sure that in the long run it will be the solution that they uh, that will be sustainable for the media industry. People right now do not want anymore to pay for news, which is why if they were to ban actual news from Facebook, I wish they would also ban fake news and clickbait because who needs that? <laughs> good luck. Good, good, good luck with that. As Sabrina, do you think ultimately it forces the, the government to the table, though, like it, like it did in Australia? I should also point out they're doing the same in the United States where Senator Klobuchar has kind of uh, put forth her own piece of legislation, though their political parties are a little more united on the issue. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it is going to force them to the table. Like, I don't think that this is the end of the fight. I think it's this is kind of where you're seeing that negotiation go back and forth. Um, but to Melanie's point about data, I don't think this is purely about protecting Canadians' data. There's there's likely other protections that we have or could see on that. I think this is more about protecting news content and the integrity of news as well, right? So we do want to combat misinformation. And as Carl said, it'd be great if we could prevent clickbait and fake news, but this is part of that. And I think it's important and it's an important part of that. Has though the government a, a big challenge in selling that message, Melanie, given the framing put forth by uh, the Conservatives, for example, so far, which is like, is the governor the arbiter of this? And they've done that sort of successfully in the context of C-11 too, which is all about uh, sort of making those companies prioritize Canadian content. It's like the free speech argument, the sort of, is the governor, the government rather, the arbiter of what you see and what you do online? That has had some resonance with supporters of the party so far. Certainly it has, but, but C-18 is, is all about what happens when you click on a news link from Facebook or from Instagram and who benefits from being able to use the information and sell it to advertisers. So if you click on a, on a link about Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry, you want to read a news story about them, you're sending a clear message to the algorithm in Facebook and, and well, I should say in Meta um, that they can then use to push advertising to you. And the question that this legislation is trying to answer is who else should be benefiting from that and how much? Should, the, should Canadian news outlets be making money off of that transaction, the, the question of how your data is being used vis-a-vis -vis how you clicked on that link? And, and it's, it's quite, that's a bit of a mess. It's very difficult to communicate that. Um, and it's not nearly as big of a winner as C11 is. C11, it's very clear that they're trying to control right. what you can watch on YouTube. That's not what this is. Well, they say that they're trying to, you know, amp up the Canadian content, but I take your point. Laura, last word to you. I have 30 seconds. Uh, look, I do think there's a, there's a segment of the population that doesn't really feel comfortable with the government kind of being the arbiter of what type of news they see and, um, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable with with this i guess to use the word of the conservatives this gatekeeper role and so i do think you know right. there there is a bit of a challenge in the public eye over you know the government's role in in regulating news content okay on that note i'll leave it thanks for a great discussion sabrina grover melanie parody laura stone and carl belanger today's takeaway is all about our top story that big volkswagen announcement industry minister francois philippe champagne says yes the feds did make an investment, but he won't say how much. Have a listen. I always say government have to be part of the equation when you come to these large investments. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. You will recall that in the fall economic statement, we said that uh, we intend to, to level the playing field, that we would be selective. 
you heard there that uh, the industry minister says there is an investment made, that they're trying to level the playing field with the United States thanks to the introduction of the Inflation Reduction Act there. But again, he will not say exactly how much that investment is work. He also says in that interview, the minister, that there is a commitment to uh, have Canadian jobs, but there is no number attached to that commitment at this point, and we don't have any of the details. The minister cites uh, competition and the market for not disclosing those details, yet he says they will be disclosed, however, in due process. We'll, of course, keep our eye on whether that comes up in the budget. Right now, though, the debate with my good friend Mike LeCouture, his debut edition of it is up next right after today's top headlines. Enjoy.